Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time that we can open up your word. Thank you that we all have a personal copy of your, of your word. If not, there's one there in the pew, in the chair in front of you. And, and Lord, we just thank you that, that you have entrusted us with your word, your holy word, your inspired word, that it has the ability to change people's lives in a way nothing else can. And so, Father, we, we treasure this book. We treasure your holy truth, and Lord, we pray that as we look once again into Romans 9 today, that you would help our minds to understand uh, the message that's before us. And Lord, we pray that you would um, give us grace in all these things. We pray for our children as they're dismissed to their classes, that you would enable their teachers to teach your word to their hearts in a way that they can understand it. And even over in the nursery, Lord, as they um, care for those children, Lord, that you would just watch over them and care for them. And Father, we thank you. Uh, that we can uh, be here today and worship you in spirit and truth. We ask your blessing upon uh, the preaching of your word now. If there's any here who has yet to put their faith, their trust in Christ, I pray that they would be drawn to the Savior in a way that um, only you can. And, Father, I pray that they would be sensitive to the things of God in their own heart. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, you can, kids, you're dismissed. And you can turn over in your Bibles to Romans 9. If you missed the message last week, then uh, you can get that. There should be some copies back there. It's on the, the, the podcast. Uh, also coming up with a church app that will probably be released in a month or so. Working on that. Doug Bissett, who used to go to our church, is helping us uh, formulate that. And so be praying for that as well. That will just make it easier for all you who have mobile devices to get access to um, information about the church. But last week we were looking at Romans 9, and, uh, you know, I just wanted to say, you know, it was a real blessing. Uh, Friday night and Saturday we had a um, evangelism class, way the master class. Dave Boland taught that for us. And uh, we had uh, 20, 25 people come out, which was just a wonderful blessing. Uh, we were not a real big church, but it was great to see uh, uh, people willing to come out and be taught how to share their faith in a biblical way. And uh, we're excited about how God is going to use that. And uh, for those of you who couldn't make that class, uh, we'll probably maybe be offering another one in the fall. And um, uh, usually it goes over eight weeks, but we got eight weeks in two days. So it was a full plate, <laughs> but uh, in a lot of ways. And Dave, we would appreciate your, your input and, and help with all that. And uh, I know God is going to bless um, those who, who came. But as we turn our hearts to God's Word today, we're in this series, Cultivating a Burden for the Lost. And it kind of just dovetailed with um, the class that we had Friday and Saturday. And it, that's all God's doing. I didn't sit down and plan this out. It was, Dave called me one day and said, hey, how about, I, how about we do an evangelism class? And that would be great. And then, uh, lo and behold, I, I realized, wow, you know, I'm going to be teaching on this. This is going to be wonderful. So uh, it's going to fit right in. And God has a way of doing that. But I want us to turn our hearts to, to God's Word. Romans 9, chapter 1 through 5. And we covered most of this last week. We, we have two points left in our uh, outline, but we'll do a little review and then get into the two points that are left and then I'll have our communion time together. Um, Romans chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race according to the flesh is the Christ, who is God over all, Blessed forever. Amen. Last week, as we were looking at this, we, we opened up our message and we talked a little bit about the idea of having a burden for the salvation of lost, lost souls because, first of all, the love of Christ, and then secondly, because the love of God's truth compels us to do just that, to reach out to the lost. And we got a little 
kind of a side lesson, you might say, on the will of God. And we talked a little bit about the moral will of God and the sovereign will of God and how they're different. And you can get that message from last week. But just in in way of review, the moral will of God is is basically those things which flow out of the the perfect nature of God that he uh, decrees. Um, Things like God hates divorce or thou shalt not kill. Um, children, obey your parents. Um, commands like in, in, in Acts chapter 17, verse 30, where it says, God commands all men everywhere to repent. Even Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9, talks about the moral will of God, where it says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. That's the moral will of God. Um, And and that's what's important to understand, that God has a moral will, but he also has a sovereign will. And the the sovereign will, when you're going through uh, tough times, hard times, it's good to know that, that we have a God who holds us in his hand, and nothing can break that grip. That God is in control completely. And forevermore. And so you have to remember both of those things. You have to remember the sovereign will of God and you have to remember the moral will of God. The fact that he even ordained the presence of evil, he allowed it to exist. He didn't cause it, but he allowed it to exist. Why? Because it fits into his overall sovereign plan. And we spoke a lot more about that, but we turned mainly to John chapter 6. And I showed you in John chapter 6 where you can see both of those things um, together as far as uh, God's will and man's responsibility. And we talked about both of those things. And it's, it's so important to understand when you talk about the sovereignty of God, you also have to talk about the responsibility of man. Or you go down a road which is fatalistic. If you believe that God is all sovereign, which we do, but we, if you believe that God has no responsibility, that, God, that man has no responsibility, excuse me, then that's a fatalistic viewpoint. And that would cause us not to pray. That would cause us not to witness. That would cause us not to do anything because, well, God's in control, so who cares? He's going to have his way no matter what. And in John chapter 6, you see both the divine sovereignty of God and the human responsibility of man. In John chapter 6, verse 37, um, he says, All that the Father gives me shall come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. And then in verse 40, verse chapter 6, John, he says, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him may have eternal life. And then in verse 44, he says, no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. But then he says in verse 47, truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. So you see God drawing, but we also have to believe. We also have to use the faith that God gives us. In verse 65, he says, no one can come to me unless it has been granted him from the Father. Now, you might say, well, how do both of those things exist? <clears throat> the responsibility of man and the sovereignty of God, that doesn't make any logical sense. And we talked a little bit about how if you come to Romans 9, you kind of have to check some of your logic at the door. Because you're going to come to a point in time when we're going through this chapter where you're going to say, wow, this just does not, I don't get this. And that's okay. Because God is God, we're not. Amen? And so he has a mind far greater than ours. We are dealing with an infinite mind. Some of us have smaller mind than others. Takes us a little longer to get things. But you know what? God, it, 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 this all fits perfectly in God's sovereign plan in his mind. Um, we sing songs like Jesus commands our destiny from uh, Christ alone, or you are in control, another chorus we sing. And sometimes that's hard to imagine that God is in control when you go to the doctor and 
you get that report that, wow, this isn't what I expected. Or you show up Monday morning only to see a a note saying, hey, let's see you later. You don't work here anymore. Or maybe even you look at relationships in your life, your marriage, maybe your relationship with your children, and they're just blown up. You say, man, God, is God really in control? And see, Paul wants his readers to understand more than anything else. First of all, we looked at some points of, of Paul, five biblical traits that we should model. Because Paul said that we should follow him as he follows Christ. And so the first thing we looked at last week, and this is all review, but was that Paul was authentic in verse 1. He says, I'm speaking the truth in Christ. He said, I'm speaking the truth. I mean, he's using the name of Christ to kind of say, look, you know, kind of like how people say, hey, I swear on my mama's grave or whatever. He's saying, you know what, I'm invoking the name of Christ, someone who is very dear to me, someone who is my savior, someone who died for me. And I'm doing it in a way that I want you to know that this is not a joke. I'm really, truly speaking the truth. I'm not lying, he says. My conscience bears witness in the Holy Spirit. And so he's going to verify, God is going to verify what Paul says. Um, Now, people that don't care much about Christ or aren't even believers, they throw the name of Christ around all the time. And usually when you're a believer and you hear it, it kind of irks you. You kind of go, well, that's not respectful. You know, why are you using God's name in vain? Um, And so Paul invokes the name of Christ here. He says, I am speaking the truth in Christ because he wants us to know that he is authentic in his message to these folks. There was a lot of false teachers back in Paul's day. There was a lot of people that were in it for the money. There was a lot of people that were in it for ulterior motives. And Paul was, he wanted them to understand that, look, I'm trying to be authentic with you. I'm trying to unravel my heart to you. I'm trying to show you how much I care. So that was the first thing that Paul was authentic. And we went into a lot more detail last week. But the second thing was that Paul was passionate. Paul was passionate. We're not talking just some lovey-dovey emotion here. The word pathos has the idea that it's not just that. It's from where we get the word empathy or we get the word sympathy. So Paul is truly identifying with this grieving process. He's really understanding that, you know what, I, I am really bothered by the fact that some of my countrymen are lost. It really bothered him. You know, Paul wasn't one of these people that, you know, got in front of a crowd and worked him up and said, hey, I feel your pain. I feel your pain. That's not what he's doing here. He's really honestly from his heart trying to identify this grief, this passion that he has. He says, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. This isn't something he's generating. This is something that he feels in the deepest parts of his heart. And because he feels that, he wants them to know, hey, this message is, is coming out of authenticity. It's coming out of passion. There's a lot of people who have anguish in their lives for wrong reasons. When you get away from principles in the Word of God, it, it, it allows you to uh, <clears throat> experience certain anguish and certain problems that you may not otherwise experience if you were to go by the principles in God's word. He's not talking about that kind of anguish. He's not talking about a self-inflicted anguish. He's talking about an anguish that, that, that is there because of his, and this is the next point we looked at, his evangelistic zeal. He wanted so much for his, his countrymen, his fellow Israelites to understand who Christ was and come to an understanding of the gospel. He was probably in so much anguish he didn't sleep at times. Do you ever have things that bother you that, that, where you can't sleep? 
Ken mentioned we're going on this cruise. Someone gifted this with this cruise, and it's just a blessing. You know, I've never been on a cruise, so I'm kind of nervous. You get on a boat with a couple thousand people. I don't know. You know, that's not my cup of tea. But I'm sure it's going to be a blessing. And uh, <clears throat> But the other night, I'm laying in bed, <clears throat> and I'm thinking, what could go wrong? So I start thinking this, right? And I'm not even talking about the cruise. I'm not even on the boat yet, right? <clears throat> and I'm laying in bed, <clears throat> and I'm going, all right, I need my passport. I got my passport. It's all updated. My wife has her passport. It's updated. I had my passports on the couch the other night. And I start, my, my mind starts racing. And I'm laying there, and I'm tired. I'm too lazy to get out of bed. And I didn't want to turn the lights on and look for the passport. But I didn't have a good night's sleep. Because I'm thinking, I'm going to look like a total idiot if somehow I lost these passports Somebody's gifted us with this cruise, and now we can't go. And it, it bothered me. And it, and it wasn't really until the other day that I, 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 trying to, I called him again. I said, hey, you, do you have the passports, right? you have the passports? Well, no, you had them on the couch. And I'm like, oh, man, it's unfolding. It's unfolding. What's, what I was dreaming about. And I wasn't even dreaming. I was awake. I'm thinking this is going to happen, man. Like, we need to find out. They're, they're fine. It's, it's in the house, you know. And I'm thinking, man, we had all this stuff and baggage and clothes everywhere. And I'm thinking, gosh, what if they got thrown out or something happened to these passports? And, you know, they're right on our dresser. You know, they're right on our dresser the whole time. <clears throat> but that's the kind of anguish sometimes, you know, stress <clears throat> that we get worked up over silly things. Paul is here. He says, this is not a silly thing to be worked up over. He wants them to know that you know what? You should feel anguish over the lost. And the reason he had such anguish in his heart was because he had an evangelistic zeal for his countrymen to know Christ. He wanted the gospel to go to the, Drew, to the Jews more than anything. And, and, it, and it caused him grief that they weren't responding the way he did. Do you ever witness to somebody and they just don't respond? And you, and you feel like, why, what can you do? You know, you wish you could just like peel their head off and pour it in or something, you know. Can't you see the truth? This is the truth. I'm not lying to you. And, and you're trying to convince them. But they just don't get it. That's that kind of anguish. That they had not received the Messiah. And then he gets to this one point and he says, For I wish that I myself were accursed or cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers. And I told you, man, I, I'm not there. I just couldn't do that. I mean, I'm looking around going, okay. I mean, I know it's messed up, but I'm just being honest with you, right? I mean, am I going to give up my <clears throat> salvation for somebody else? I'm just not there. I'm not that spiritual yet. I mean, that I'm going to damn myself, go to eternity in all hell, so someone else can be saved. Huh. I mean, that is evangelistic zeal. I mean, Spurgeon said that's the kind of zeal that we need. That's the kind of zeal that we should have in our heart. But I don't know. I, I, I am not there yet. And you can pray for your pastor that, you know, maybe God would get him to that point. And it's kind of a silly prayer because you know that that's impossible, right? I mean, there's no way even if I could go up to an unbeliever and say, you know what, I'll take your place. It's not going to work. So Paul's not saying this in a way that it's possible, but he's trying to unveil his heart. He's trying to say, man, I wish this could even happen. So that they could experience the love of God in Christ. And you have to remind yourself as we go through this chapter. Okay. That this is the kind of zeal. This is the kind of passion. This is the kind of authenticity that motivated Paul. To go through things like verbal abuse and physical abuse and stoning and lashing and shipwrecks and persecution and slavery and imprisonment. One of the videos said the other day, they said, you know, a lot of times people want to come to Jesus just to have a full life. And they're thinking a happy life. You know, God has a wonderful plan for your life. Well, Paul's life was full. But what was it full of? It was full of... What I just read, verbal abuse and physical abuse and stoning and shipwreck and persecution and slavery and imprisonment. And Jesus says, you know what? You're no different. As Christians, what are you expecting? 
that you're going to go out in the world and share Christ and they're going to say, oh, tell us more, please. Trust me, that's not what's going to happen. They're going to call you narrow-minded. They're going to call you every name in the book. They're not going to appreciate the message of the gospel. They're not going to appreciate the message that says, you know what? There's one way to God, and that's through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, because the Bible said there's no other name under heaven whereby we can be saved. What do they say to that? Well, that's intolerant. Yeah, it is. Talk to him. I I didn't write the book. I didn't come up with this deal. I'm just trying to explain to you the way to salvation, the way to truth, the way to eternal life. It was Paul that said, I am not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Well, today, we're not going to get to the tough parts of Romans 9, actually, but we are eventually going to get to parts where Paul says things like, you know, God chooses whom he chooses. Matter of fact, God even has vessels for honor and vessels for wrath. It's those times when we get to those passages, you're going to go, wow, this doesn't even seem fair. And your logic is going to kick in and you're going to go, well, wait a minute. You're going to, you're going to want to pull back and say, wait a minute, is this for real? And we have to remind ourselves that, you know what, we're to model Paul's evangelistic zeal. We're to model the zeal of the martyrs. We're to model the zeal of the apostles. The ones that, that went out and shared Christ, even though, you know, they, they, they'd go out on the street, they'd share Christ, they'd get arrested, they'd get beaten, and they'd, they'd let them back out. What would they do? They'd go right back out and they'd share Christ again. So Paul was authentic. Paul was passionate. Paul was evangelistic. He just didn't sit back and say, well, I know God is sovereign, so he's going to take care of it all, so we don't have to do anything. But it doesn't end there, because Paul also was interested in biblical knowledge. And this is the fourth thing, and this is kind of our message for today. It's interesting how one of the things that Paul is to say later on about the Jews is that that they had zeal... Without what? Knowledge. They had zeal without knowledge. You know, that's kind of like, you know, I like jets. I like things. Somebody asked me, are you going over to the, the Half Moon Bay? Uh, they have an a air show over there. And they said, oh, do you go to the air show in Half Moon Bay? I said, no, they don't have any jets. They have fighter jets. Oh, I'm all over that. But, uh, you know, a little turboprop or whatever. You know, I want a jet. That's why I could never be a pilot. Because I'd never be satisfied until I was sitting in the cockpit of an F-18, which is never going to happen, okay? So that's, that's just not reality. But, you know, a little Piper Cub, you know, this doesn't do it for me. And, see, when you have zeal and no knowledge, it's kind of like having a bunch of thrust without any vector, without any way to direct you, to, 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 to point that thrust in a direction, A lot of times you hear that in in churches today. You have people that have a lot of zeal. They talk about the spirit. They talk about the gifts. They talk about all this stuff. But you know what? They have no biblical knowledge. None. So they're pulling verses here. They're pulling verses there. They're saying, well, the Bible says this. The Bible says that. And you say, wait a minute. Context. Let's go back and look at the context. What does the Bible really say when it mean when it says that? What was the author's intent when he wrote that? You can't just go willy-nilly and start pulling verses out. You could, you could come up with a theology that would, would totally be against any biblical principles. But there's a lot of people that, you know, modern-day Christians today that talk a lot about, oh, you know, the Spirit told me this, the Spirit told me that. They use a lot of religious jargon. They go to church and they go to a big cheerleading thing and they get all excited and they feel really good. You see them on Monday and man, they're, they're just, you know, they're floating. You ask them a few questions 
And you realize, as much as they study the Bible, they don't know one thing about the Bible. They don't know one thing about doctrine. They don't know one thing about theology. They're riding merely on a cloud of emotion. And so their, their lives are literally wrecked and they have no clue. Because <laughs> they think, they look at their lives and they say, well, I'm doing all this stuff. <clears throat> I'm going to Bible study. I'm going to church. Helping the homeless. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. And it's kind of like they go to church to get their little buzz on. And, and you know, and boy, it kind of gets them maybe to, to, to Tuesday. But because there's no foundation, there's no biblical truth upon which all this emotional stuff is built on. They crash. And so they, they, they get in this pattern of, boy, they need this fix on Sunday in order to make it through the week. Should we be excited to come and worship together as a corporate body? Yes. That, that should be the highlight of your week. But you know what? If this is all you're getting, this isn't enough. I mean, I could preach for four hours on Sunday morning, and it wouldn't be enough. You need to feed yourself. You need to get your Bible every day, open it up, and begin to read it. And begin to understand it. And when you don't understand it, write it down and say, boy, I got a question for this. And we have so many resources today, there's no excuse for believers not being biblical, biblically literate. But they have an idea that just by going to church or just by being part of a Bible study or doing something like that, that somehow, you know, that's how they are sanctified. That's how they grow. That's part of it. But you have to feed yourself as well. The Bible says that Jesus said, you are sanctified by the truth. Your word is truth. You're sanctified by the word of God. But if you never open up the word of God, if the Bible is just, you know, a, a stop on a, on a bookshelf all week, and then you pull it out and dust it off on Sunday morning, it's not going to be enough. You're going to be living a defeated Christian life. And when you do that, you end up running on emotion. It's kind of like running on a sugar high. It lasts for a little bit, but boy, when it burns out, it burns out quick. And you just crash. And unfortunately, today in America, churches are built around this. Pastors are built around this kind of mentality. That, well, we can't teach doctrine. We can't spend any time in the Word of God because people can't sit there. You know, we live in a different age now. Come on. I mean, if you preach more than 20 minutes, that's just crazy. I mean, 20 minutes, I'm just getting warmed up at 20 minutes. I, I don't know what they're thinking. But when you look at the early church in the book of Acts, it really, you know, the, the word of God, the truth of the Bible was, was a pillar of truth. It wasn't a pillar of emotion. It wasn't built on emotions. It was built on doctrine. Now, there's a place for emotions. God gave us emotions. Jesus had emotions. But you know what? Think of it this way. And I, I learned this early on in my Christian life. Because early on, after I came to Christ, you know, I mean, I came to Christ. I was part of the Catholic Church. I came to Christ. And I thought, wow, I got really mad. And I thought, I'm going to go become a priest and infiltrate the Catholic Church and expose all the stuff that's not right. And, and well-meaning pastor said, that's probably not a good approach. <laughs> You know, so, but I was all excited about it. And then I got all depressed after that. I'm thinking, well, if I can't do that, then, you know, so then he said, well, maybe you need to go to Bible college and learn something, you know, about the Bible rather than just, you know, go out there and start talking about it. So that's what I ended up doing. But I remember my, my Christian walk was kind of emotionally up, emotionally down, up, down, up, down. And I was living by my emotions. And it wasn't until I came to understand more fully who God was, some of his attributes, um, and, and a lot more about the character and the nature of God that I began to realize, wow, this is, this is true. I don't have to listen to these emotions. You know, so if you think of a train, you know, you have an engine that pulls the train. 
in a lot of Christians' lives, unfortunately, the engine consists of a bunch of emotion. And so they're living their Christian walk by emotions, up and down, all around. I invited, this was years ago, but I invited somebody to uh, a Wednesday night Bible study. And it was a Christian. And uh, they said, hey, I just don't feel like going. And I said, excuse me? I I just don't feel like coming. And I said this to them. They didn't come, but I said, I don't care if you feel like coming. I didn't ask you if you felt like coming. Okay, what's going on here? Justice. Something's awry. But I, I, I simply said, I didn't ask you if you felt like coming. And they were just like, like I totally offended them, I guess. I said, it's the right thing to do, don't you think? See, and, and we have churches today, we have pastors today even, that build Christian walk. Let's go to this mic here. Build the Christian walk around emotion and not experience, or not uh, the fact of God's word, knowledge. So there's a place for emotions. God created emotions. Jesus had emotions. But if you think of a train, always think of, you know what? The engine is what drives that train. And you have to have that engine as a pillar of truth. You have to have some doctrine. You have to have some knowledge in your head if you're going to live your Christian life according to God's word. Because if you don't know what's in this book, beloved, how are you going to live a life that's in according with the principles that are in there? Our emotions should be the caboose. We don't listen to our emotions. Your emotions are going to lie to you every time. Like I said, God gave us emotions, and emotions are are, are a gift. Praise the Lord for emotions, but don't live your life by them. If you get that backwards, if you're living your life being pulled by your emotions, you're going to be in a world of hurt because you're going to be constantly wondering Boy, what's going on? You're, going to be, you're just going to have that unknown, that anguish that's unnecessary in your life. And I think most Christians, really, it's emotions that determine what is true. That's how they look at it. And it's, it's unfortunate. And, you know, when you stop and you think about it, um, I remember telling... Someone years ago, we were talking about, I think we were going through Ephesians, and I was talking about predestination and, and the sovereignty of God and election. And I read a verse, and, and the gentleman said, well, I just don't agree with that. I said, what? I said, I mean, it's pretty plain. It says that God chose you before the foundation of the world. That's what it says. What don't you, well, I just don't think that's right. I was like, well, well wait a minute. So who are you? You know, see, what, what was he doing? He was going by his emotions. He was saying, that doesn't feel right. That God would choose somebody before the foundation of the world. They weren't even born yet. How could he know if they were good or bad? How could he? Oh, he's God. But they couldn't comprehend that. Why? Because emotion guides their walk. Emotion guides what they think is true, what they feel is true. There's no trajectory in their thrust. It's all zeal and it just goes everywhere. See, Paul valued biblical knowledge, beloved. When you look at the prayers of Paul in his epistles, you see that he often prays for knowledge. He prays that they would have knowledge. He prays that, he says, he will not cease to pray for you, asking that you may be what? Filled with the knowledge of his will. Many Christians think that God works first and foremost through emotions. And they, to be honest, they despise knowledge. You try to talk to them about doctrine. I don't want to hear that. I'm all about emotion. They despise understanding. They despise a preacher who would preach more than 20 minutes. They despise a teacher that would teach about theology or doctrine. What do they want? They want the light stuff. They want the fluffy stuff. They want the stuff that makes them feel good. It's kind of like going to McDonald's and ordering the Happy Meal. 
You know, they don't want a steak dinner. They want their little happy meal. So they get their little toy and play with it. They want something quick, cheap, easy. You know, just, just give me that buzz, fill my belly so I can get out of here and do what I got to do. And you know what? Unfortunately, their spiritual health, their spiritual health has suffered incredibly because they despise biblical knowledge. They despise understanding. I heard one guy on TV one time, these health and wealth teachers, he was preaching. And he said, you know what? When you come to my church, you better leave your problems at the door. I don't want your problems here. I thought, whoa. You know, we're all about the positive here. We don't want to hear about that negative stuff. You come in, you get your fill. Get your little form warm fuzzy on and, and, and feel good about yourself. And then it all comes crashing down on Monday morning. Let me tell you, when you come in the doors of, these, of this church, personally, I want you to bring every problem you have. Don't hide anything. You know, I long for a church that's transparent. I long for a church where you can come in and say, hey, how was your week? And rather than paste a little pasty smile, spiritual smile on your face, oh, everything was fine. When you just got done chewing the kids out and yelling at your wife when you got out of the car. Oh, everything's fine. You know, there's nothing wrong with coming in and going, you know what? We could use some prayer. We could, you know, would you mind praying for us? You know, we don't, we don't want to go into the service in the state we're in right now. I mean, you don't have to share all the details, but let's, let's have a little bit of transparency. Let's just be open and honest with each other. If we can't be open and honest with each other here. You know, it's funny. Friday night, Saturday, <clears throat> the class that we went through, um, we didn't, it wasn't like a hardcore class where you go out and preach on the streets or anything. <clears throat> but in the fellowship hall, you paired up with somebody and you, you kind of went through sharing a track with somebody or sharing the gospel with somebody. And there was some, you know, kind of anxiety. You could sense it. You know, oh, we've got to do this. And, you know, I mean, I mean, you're talking about your friends, right? And you're not talking about preaching to 10,000 people. You're talking to, talking to one other person about, and, and in the videos, they went over this. You know, you need to get over that, that fear of sharing the truth with people. And see, we need to be willing to share the truth with people, even sometimes when the truth doesn't necessarily uh, feel that well. <laughs> um, but when you come to church here, I want you to bring every problem you can. And, and the reason is, you know, bring it all. Bring all the baggage. Because I know that the only way that you're going to deal with those problems in your life, the only way as a Christian, is to look at those problems in comparison to the Word of God. See, the Word of God is sufficient. Christ is sufficient to meet your every need. He didn't save you and then say, oh, okay, now go trust the, the secular psychologist to deal with that stuff. That's above my pay grade. That's not the Jesus we serve. He said, you know what? You are sufficient in Christ to do all things. He wants us to know that. That's what's going to change you. Get into the Word of God. Get into studying. Get into fellowship. Get into praying together. Being transparent so people know that they can pray for the issues you're having. You're not just on some emotional high, but you're dealing with the Word of God. You're understanding the Word of God more and more. And that's what truly is going to sanctify you. That's what equips you. That's why Paul says later, that's what equips you for every good work. What? The inspired Word of God. It's completely sufficient. You know, we got everybody today in churches looking for dreams and visions and all these kind of aha moments. You don't need an aha moment. Just pick up your Bible and read it. And so Paul is really wanting us to understand that biblical knowledge is one of these traits that we need to have. And he approaches it with how history happened, how Scripture has reported to it. Look at verse 4 here. He says, They are Israelites. To them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. Those six things kind of match each other. One and four, two and five, three and six. You can look at it. Glory, worship, covenant, promises. Um, you can, they kind of have a theme going on there. 
But the greatest biblical truth, the greatest biblical fact, factually knowledge about being a Jew is in verse 5. He says in verse 5, to them, talk about these ethnic Jews here. He says, to them belong, uh, they're the patriarchs. Belong the patriarchs. What's he saying? He says, you know what? You're related to these men, countrymen, those of you who are Jewish, to these great men of faith. People like, that he already mentioned, okay, David, Abraham, who's the father of the faith who was justified by faith. If you're Jewish, he wants them to know you're related to these gentlemen. But better than that, he even goes beyond that. Look at what he says there. At the end, he says, you're, you're even related because from their race, according to the flesh, he says, is the Christ, the Messiah. If you're Jewish, you're related to Jesus Christ. That's an amazing thing. I mean, everybody wants to be related to somebody, right? I mean, my wife watches some show. I don't don't know what it's called. I forget the name of it. Some ancestry thing or something. I don't know. But it's a story about people that, you know, they, they want to find this link to somebody famous. And so they go back and they do their ancestry thing, and it goes back and back and back. And, oh, you're related to, you know, and everybody wants to be related to somebody. And see... If you're, Jesus, or if you're Jewish, you're related to Jesus Christ. That's a pretty big deal. Um, that's pretty awesome. And so Paul acknowledged this. He acknowledged this as being historically true, factual. Paul says it's, it's correct. Paul knew his Bible. He just didn't say, well, you know, doesn't matter. Let's just move on to something that's a little more interesting. No, he shows how this matters and what God is going to do about it with all these promises. All these promises have been made to Israel. Well, what's going to happen to these promises? He's going to show us all these things in Romans chapter 9. And so biblical understanding is something that we need to get back to. You know, you should be able to Recite the Ten Commandments. You should be able to find the books of the Bible. Those are very basic things. And we need to work hard at those. If that was your job, you would work hard at it. Well, the last thing here before our communion time is biblical understanding. And he covers this in verse 5 as well. It kind of goes almost hand in hand with with biblical knowledge. But the reason I broke this out was because biblical knowledge is great. You can get all the, the biblical knowledge that you want. But if you don't have understanding of that knowledge, if you don't have the practical wisdom to put that knowledge to use, it, you know, you're, we're not interested in people that just know a bunch of Bible trivia. Right? I mean, that's cool if you're playing the game of trivia, I guess. I, I hate that game. I just, my mind doesn't think that way. I just don't. It's embarrassing. I just, well, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is, you know. You look like an idiot. I look like an idiot when I play that game. So I I steer away from those games. But it's not just about obtaining a bunch of knowledge. You know, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about understanding the knowledge that we have. It's it's kind of like putting putting the biblical knowledge we have to use. It's, It's synthesizing it. It's putting it all together in a way that's consistent with Scripture. See, today we have Christians that go off on every kind of rabbit trail possible. And when you call them back and say, well, wait a minute, that's not saying that. You know, you've you got to go back to the text and you've got to look at what that verse means. You know, it's kind of having a, a biblical worldview. You know, when, when we teach your children in Sunday school, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to give them a biblical worldview versus a secular worldview. We want them to understand, you know, that it's, that it's important to apply these biblical principles to their heart. That's wisdom. That's understanding. And so he, he points out here two things, basically. First of all, that Scripture he's talking about here is, is not, not, you know, he, he, he mentions here in, in verse 5, to them belong the patriarchs and from their race according to the flesh is the Christ who is uh, God over all, blessed 
forever. Amen. And he talks about the commandments, the covenant, the giving of the law. All right. He's talking here about the Old Testament. And remember, this wasn't really in place yet. The New Testament wasn't around yet. And so we have to remind ourselves, well, what is Paul talking about here when he talks about the law, when he talks about the word of God? He's talking about the 39 books of the Old Testament. If you came out of the Catholic Church like I did, then you realize the Catholic Bible is a little different because they have the Apocrypha in between. Um, And... It's interesting because the Jews, who were kind of the caretakers of the law of God, they don't recognize the Apocrypha as being part of the canon of Scripture. Just thought I'd share that with you. Um, But he's talking here about the 39 books of the Old Testament and, and what's being added to them as he's actually... I mean, Paul is actually in the process here of of writing the word of God. I mean, it's amazing when you stop and think about it. And so Jesus came on in the New Testament and he appointed men, the apostles, to carry this out, the writing of the New Testament, and complete the canon. That's why in the book of Revelation, the gospel, uh, the apostle John, at the end, he says, hey, don't add anything to this book, by the way. It's done. It's over. That's why you've got to be careful when you say, hey, you know, Thus saith the Lord. Are you, are you quoting a verse or are you just kind of making something up out of, of thin air? What are you doing? Um, you know, God has communicated to us, the Bible says, through his son. All right? And in a lot of different ways in times previous. But now he has communicated to us through his son and through the word. And we need to listen to that and understand this before we go seeking some, some new word from the Lord. And so biblical knowledge, biblical understanding is something that we definitely need more of. And Paul held to that exclusive gospel that we teach. That's why he was so burdened for them to come to Christ. He wasn't saying, oh, okay, well, you can stay a Jew. It doesn't matter. He held to an exclusive gospel. By that I mean there was only one God, the God of the Bible, the God of the Jews who gave mankind through the Jews only one revelation, the Bible. We don't have multiple revelations. Paul wasn't saying, okay, you're all a bunch of religious people. Just go your own way. I'm sure you'll figure it out. It all ends up in the same place anyway. No, the Bible says that one path leads to what? Life, one path leads to death. Which path are you on? I mean, there's a lot of Christians that even deny that truth. The truth of the exclusive gospel. The the fact that Jesus is the only way to the Father. Well, you can't really share that with people because they... Yeah, you can. That's what the truth is. Why would you tell them anything else? By telling them anything else, you're denying justification by faith alone in Christ alone. You know, don't be like Joel Olstein who says, Well, I guess God will work it all out. You know, I'm sure they're sincere. That's, that's, that's a false heretic. That's a teacher who obviously does not have biblical knowledge and biblical understanding. Pray for that man. I wouldn't want to be in his shoes. And so Paul even says here in the book of Romans, there's no other name given among men whereby we can be saved. Jesus is the truth. He's the life. No man comes to the Father but by him. Now, just closing here before we have our Our communion. I just want to leave you with a couple questions. Because, you know, this little series was really talking about a burden for the lost. First question there, do you anguish over others? In other words, do you sorrow for those who don't know Christ? Because they're going to perish without him. Do you believe that they're perishing? Do you anguish over others? Secondly, do you anguish over those closest to you, the members of your own family? Paul also grieved over Gentiles, but he grieved mostly for the Jews because he was related to them. Charles Spurgeon told a story. He said a girl who was not in good health approached the pastor with thoughts about her coming funeral. 
She spoke to her father, who was an unbeliever, who had never accepted an invitation from her to go to church. She said, Pastor, you will bury me, won't you? Well, my father will have to come to the funeral. And he will hear you speak. And you will speak the gospel. Please speak it clearly. I have prayed for him for a long time. I know God will save him. According to Spurgeon, the father came to her funeral and was converted. The girl did not die in her father's place as Jesus died for us, but she had a spirit of Christ that is willing to die if her death might cause the conversion of another one. Do you anguish over family members? Thirdly, do you anguish over those who are your enemies? If you have enemies, we're to to love our enemies, to pray for our enemies. Fourthly, do you anguish over those who are great sinners? You know, when we see people who are caught up in sin and all kinds of different sins today, don't just stand there with your righteous look and, oh, stay away from those people. No. Do we anguish over those people? Do we realize that those people are destined to an eternity without Christ, without God forever in hell? And fifthly, do you anguish over those who have great privileges? You know, Paul showed here that the Jews of his day had great privileges. They had all those things that he listed. We talked about that last week. But we have a lot of people, I think, even in our own church, that maybe have a form of religion, have a form of Christianity, They may even be professing Christ. But my question is, are they possessing Christ? Is God making a difference in their life? See, it's these things that Christ came, he died. And Paul wants us to know that, you know what? My heart's broken over the lost. And our heart should be broken as well. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Lord, we pray that as we prepare our hearts for our communion time together, that you would uh, minister your grace to our hearts. Lord, this is an open communion table for all those who know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. So if you're here today and maybe you don't know Jesus, um, you haven't experienced salvation yet, then we would ask that you would simply just pass these elements by to the next person. Um, but if you're here and you're visiting with us, even if you know if you know the Lord Jesus Christ, this is a table that's open to you. Uh, you don't have to be a member of this church if you're a member of the Universal Church of Christ. So, Lord, we pray that you would just bless our time here in fellowship and as we remember the death of your son as he sacrificed himself for our sin. And, Father, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.